we welcome you to the preaching service of the Scotts Fork Christian Church. I'm Otis Clark, the minister, and we are pleased to have you sharing this podcast with us. This morning, we're going to be reading in Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 13, uh, or 14, beg your pardon. And uh, uh, actually, I would like to encourage you, if you would, at this season, uh, turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke and read the first 40 verses. And this will help us to understand the many profound truths about the birth of Christ. So let's listen, if you will, as I read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great host of the heavenly, great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Yes, I want this morning uh, to talk about the birth of Christ and our message is simply entitled Christmas. And I'm going to be sharing about different aspects, maybe saying some things, sharing some things that maybe you have never heard before. A fellow minister in a Christian church minister did a comparison going back to 2013 when Prince George, who was the son of Prince Harry and Kate, was born and shared about the manner and all the things that took place when this little fellow came into the world and compared that with the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We go back to that time, like I said, uh, the little Prince George was born in 2013, and, and it seemed the whole world was waiting breathlessly for the birth of this baby. This baby is Prince George, the firstborn son, as I said, of Prince Harry and Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge. It is fair to say that it is impossible to exaggerate the attention that this birth received before, during, and after. It was a feeding frenzy for the news media. The number of reporters uh, competing for every imaginable scrap of news about it must have been like uh, the plagues of the locusts, which with reporters desperately scrapping London for a news story. It was an obsession with the people. It was 
the birth of a king, little king, little uh, Prince George, because uh, with things taking their natural course, this baby will one day be the king of in England. But it is rather a hollow position, really, holding primarily ceremonial and diplomatic duties with the governing functions being the purview of parliament and a prime minister. The family exists primarily to be celebrated and to put on the pageantry people so fervently uh, desire. But the British monarchy has captured the, fin uh, the fascination of the world when this happened. E every aspect of little Prince George's birth was extremely formal, programmed, and formatted by the traditions of royalty to the nth degree. And then in contrast to that, we come and read from the greatest book in all the world, the Holy Bible, and we read about the King of Kings. Let's look at this, if you will. Compare this recent birth of a king, going back to not many years ago, 2013, to the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Both births, births, births were anticipated and celebrated, but in different ways. Jesus was born in a place for animals without ceremony or formality instantaneous worldwide news with a few exceptions we will mention Jesus's birth went largely unnoticed throughout Israel and the Roman Empire rather than calling on the phone the formal announcement followed by royal tradition and was sent to Queen Elizabeth by a designated vehicle as she waited at Buckingham Palace the Queen read it and passed the news to a footman, authorizing him to formally announce the birth to the world by placing this announcement on an easel in front of the palace. Rather than following a stiff tradition, the Bible tells us, as we read just a moment ago, that angels appear to the shepherds near Bethlehem, announcing the birth of Christ. You see, friends, a lot of times we would say, oh, it feels fair to say, that Christians have a sort of schizophrenia about Christmas. We rightly say that it was not a holy day, but still grieve that its commercialization robs it of its true meaning. Some say that it has pagan roots and that even its Christian roots are from flawed sources, but while still sailing, saying that, yet still observe Christmas. Some say we ought to celebrate Christ's birth every day, since we don't know the actual date of his birth, but it would be hard to find someone, needless to say, who could per se celebrate his birth daily. If we closely examine how Christmas is celebrated, Sad to say, 2022, we would find little focus on the incarnation of Jesus. Some worry whether Christians should even take any specific notice of the day to note Christ's birth, yet they would object to the trend uh, converting the popular parlance from Christmas to holiday, insisting that Jesus is the reason for the season. We deeply resent intrusion by any level of governments into the celebration. We consider it an abridgment of our religious freedom. But I want to point out it is not my purpose today to address the questions about Christmas 
from a governmental or legalistic view. I want us to see a number of things that maybe all of us have never thought about and are so important. You see, the Bible gives us Mary, Joseph and Mary's fantastic story and, uh, and shows us not only that, but shows us people celebrating his birth. The greatest story that was ever told, has ever been told. And we know that those who shared in his coming into the world, that they knew the profoundness of this birth and they celebrated this birth. It is truly a lovely story. Joseph and Mary, we know as we read in the scriptures, were visited by the angel. Luke tells us it was Gabriel who spoke to Mary saying that Mary had found favor with God and that although a virgin, she would bear a son conceived by the Holy Spirit and he would save his people from their sins. Luke records Gabriel's visit uh, to Mary in his words in Luke 1, 32 and 33. She said he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. As we continue to look at this story, Mary was told that her aging Elizabeth, a relative Elizabeth, was now in her sixth month of pregnancy. Mary went to Elizabeth, and indeed it was true. Mary's exaltation at being honored to bear the Messiah in her body is, per, is preserved by Luke. For instance, in Luke 1, 46 through 49, we read these words. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We continue to read the story, and we know that Mary knew that she was to give birth to the Messiah and realized <coughs> excuse me, what that meant. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world was to be taxed and a requiring a census. And Joseph and Mary journeyed to Bethlehem since they were of the family of David. Now, we know that Bethlehem had been prophesied, though Joseph and Mary actually were Galileans. And we continue to read all the different components about Christ coming into the world. As we all know, there was no room at the inn. Uh, Jesus was born in a place for sheltering animals. The announcement of Christ's birth was made by angels to shepherds. The Bethlehem shepherds understood the concept of sacrifice for their living depended on it. People generally did not bring their sacrifices on the long journey to Jerusalem, but purchased them there often from the Bethlehem shepherds. And then we notice as we read the account that a star appeared in the east. His presence and meaning were observed by the Magi these wise men, probably possibly uh, descendants from those wise men over whom Daniel was made the prefect after interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, they knew that a king of the Jews was to be born and associated it with a star. The Magi from the east journeyed far 
to see the newborn king and to bring him gifts. There was a tremendous reverence. Jesus, as we continue to read, was presented in the temple. He was seen by Simeon and Anna, and uh, prophets advanced in years. And uh, Mary learned that something would hurt her deeply. Later in the temple, Simeon prophesied to her, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of men in Israel. For a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce through his through your own soul, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. On the day that Jesus died, needless to say, that Simeon's prophecy came true. The story is something to marvel about, my brothers. There is no other story that can be so can so warm our hearts. No preacher, no matter how gifted, can make the story great by telling it artfully. It is richer, deeper, and fuller on its own power than any greatness we can bestow through our own emphasis or thrilling telling of it. Any other hype it would only detract. Yet familiarity, and we need to keep this in mind with the story, can breed casual disinterest in its deeper meanings. Amid the fun and the stress, the familiarity through repetitive reading and singing about it, and even with the focus on the beauty of the story of Joseph and Mary and their newborn baby, it is easy to overlook the magnitude of what happened. The greatest happening, the greatest story ever told. The Bible acquaints us with the event's colossal significance in God's eternal design. It is no less than the incarnation of God. And then we see the person Herod in this whole setting. As lovely as the story of Jesus' birth is, it is not complete without the ugly part. Someone feared the baby. Herod, called the Great, was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. And Herod encouraged the circulation of a legend of his family's descent from a Babylonian Jew. But it had no historic basis. In B.C. 40, Herod was appointed tetriarch of Judea by Mark Anthony and was later appointed king of Judea by the Roman Senate. And we note that Herod is best described because of what he decreed and what he asked to take place as a very cruel man. He summons the Magi and requires that they find the child and report his whereabouts to him. Warned in a dream, they return to their own country without complying. The Bible tells us in Luke 2, I beg your pardon, Matthew 2.16, alarmed by the tidings of one born king of the Jews and forwarded in in purpose of locating Jesus, he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. You see the scene of the soldiers carrying out this assignment is really too horrible to contemplate. The heartbreak of those mothers is matched only, someone has said, by Pharaoh's decree at the time of Moses' birth that all male babies were to be thrown into the Nile River. Herod's atrocity 
is a part of the Christmas story. But of all these horrors, we cannot linger for long. Warned by an angel, Joseph and Mary escaped with Jesus to Egypt. And so we ask ourselves, recognizing all of these significant happenings, should Christians celebrate Christmas? Uh, we recognize that the Bible does not speak to the subject of, of Christians commemorating Christ's birth, but it shows the shepherds and the magi marking the occasion by celebrating and worshiping him. You see, friends, the absence of specific guidance neither condemns nor condones the practice, provided we do not run foul with other guidance then how are we to know what seems right to us without specific guidance? Paul, in writing to the Christians in the city of Rome, addresses this very thing. And he was writing to the Christians in the city of Rome because they were having trouble with understanding among the brethren about the eating of meats. And so let me start with the first verse in that 14th chapter and read the first six, first six verses and then verses 16 through 19. He's talking about the weak and the strong. And he says, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand for a stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whosoever, whoever regards one day as special uh, does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself or lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we die or live, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And then we drop down, if you will, to verses 16 through 19, and he continues to write about this matter. Therefore, do not let what you know is good uh, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So, the absence of specific guidance neither condemns nor condones the practice, provided we do not run, run foul of other guidance. You see, what Paul is getting across here, and this is what you come in contact with as we think about observing Christmas, is the eating of meat. Sacrifice to idols was abhorrent 
to some people, for they fear that by doing so, they were participating in idol worship, or at the very least be a bad influence on others who might think they were condoning idol worship. But the meat was not ruined by having been wrongly used by some. To one, the meat sacrificed to idols made the one eating it uh, a participant in idol worship. To the other, the meat was simply food with no significance fastened to its earlier use. Like those eating the meat are staining from it, we are left to do so as it seems right and allows others that same privilege. Friends, here is something that's important to grab a hold of as we think as the title of the message about Christmas. Our recognition of the birth of Christ does not hinge on getting the date right. We notice that in the New Testament, when people rejoiced, it was because they had reason to rejoice, not because they were commanded to do so. In John 10, we see Jesus participating in what is called Hanukkah, an uncommanded commemoration of a happy event. The the feast commemorating the dedication of the temple after it had been cleansed from being profaned by Antiochus Epiphanes, the annual feast was appointed by Judas Judas, uh, Maccabees and his brethren in 164 BC. It is commemorated an event that occurred after all of the scriptures of Jesus' day had been written and compiled. So what about other aspects? of Christmas. What about other parts of Christmas? For instance, the Christmas tree. Uh, What about decorations, rich food, exchanging of gifts and pretty wrappings, the pretense about Santa Claus? Should we worry that the goodwill of those images may have historic roots that are unhealthy for the Christian and abstain from these aspects altogether? No, we should respect the right of others to formulate their own thoughts and follow their own conscience in this matter, regardless of which side of the question their answer falls. Take for for example, the Christmas tree. Did you ever think about that? Where did it get started and what was the derivation of it? The modern Christmas tree originated in Western Germany as the main prop of a popular medieval play about Adam and Eve. It was a paradise tree a fir tree hung with apples representing the Garden of Eden. The Germans set up a paradise tree in their homes on December 24th, the religious feast day of Adam and Eve, and they hung wafers on it symbolizing the Christian sign of redemption. In a later tradition, the wafers were replaced by cookies and various shapes Candies symbolic of, candles symbolic of Christ were often added, and by the 16th century, the paradise, paradise tree had become the Christian uh, Christmas tree. And so we ask a question, what do these things, the tree, decorations, gift, and wrapping paper, means to us? Are we participating in a pagan worship or some improper form of Christian worship if we do these things that have become tradition associated with the season? No, no, no. For these physical exhibitions, listen closely, of the celebration do not have a pagan meaning to us. We know going back about those who rejoiced and worshiped uh, with the Christ coming into the world and 
what I say often is that when we come time to this year, we know that Jesus was born. We know many of the, the accounts and many of the profound happenings of when he came into this world. And so personally, as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take it as an opportunity to teach people, hopefully hundreds and thousands over the years, the many great lessons about the birth of Jesus Christ. These other things are traditions. Uh, they are not, I don't know that they are condemned. Uh, I don't know that uh, there would be anything along that line so as so. So what about all of this? Most people today, I believe, present today, celebrate Christmas as an acceptable date to represent the day of Jesus' birth, fully recognizing that the actual date is unknown. Let's settle our minds and not have any confusion about the season. Though Christmas is not mentioned as a Christian celebration, uh, the Bible gives us the answer. Participation in the celebration is a choice, not obedience to a command to do so, or is the avoidance of it as a necessary compliance with the absence of such a command. Friends, I would say it like this, is that I close with this great truth that God is the greatest giver. We give gifts, we celebrate, we give gifts to one another because he showed us that the source of giving was love. We know that great verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a reason to celebrate. That is a reason. And December is a good time to honor him for his greatest gift. Friends, I want to encourage you to enjoy the season, but above everything, remembering Jesus, the incarnate deity, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, if there had not been the birth, there would never be myriads of things that occurred after the birth. Certainly there would have been no death, no burial, there, no resurrection. There would be no hope for eternal life. Friends, the greatest story ever told was when Jesus came into the world, the Prince of Peace and the Savior of mankind. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the birth of Christ. We know that the lessons surrounding his birth are many. We know that he came bring, <coughs> bringing, <coughs> excuse me, bringing some of the greatest things that we need to hear. So I pray that you will bless this message and that you will bless the listener. And may we all worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. In his name we pray, amen.